All right. Hi, everybody. It's our CFB Talk 151. My name's Bob Ekairi. I should be joined by my regular co-hosts, J.D. Moore and Sirius. We've got a special guest today. In a few moments, we'll be joined by Stuart Mandel. He's editor-in-chief of the Athletics College Football Coverage and been a college football national writer for two decades with Sports Illustrated and Fox Sports. He co-hosts the Audible podcast with Bruce Feldman. We'll be having him up here shortly. Sirius, are you able to get up? I am here, and I think my audio is actually working for once. So it, uh, it wasn't like it's... last time. Like, oh gosh, a couple of months ago, we tried to, to get a show together when I was in Vancouver, and then for the system just did not want to let you up. So now we've got you up here. So again, if you're just joining us in a couple of minutes, we'll be joined by Stuart Mandel. He's editor in chief of the Athletics College Football Coverage. We're going to be talking about. Well, everything that's been going on, because this has been an intense couple of days. It's so funny, because last Wednesday, we were talking with Phil Steele, and we are kind of tentatively talking about what might happen. Obviously, Colorado had moved, and then by Friday, all heck is broken loose. So, here we are. What are your thoughts on it, Sirius? Yeah, I uh, was actually on vacation last week and didn't have great uh, internet reception. So, I was just kind of, like, getting bits and pieces, and, you know is this happening? Is it not happening? The back and forth, you know, it felt like Michael Scott in the office, you know, the snip snap and, you know, just the emotional toll it takes in a man, not knowing if uh, a conference that they have no personal rooting interest in is going to collapse or survive. It's just, you know, it's rough. Absolutely. And again, with so many of these topics, we're going to go over with Stuart Mandel. He's going to be joining us momentarily. He just sent us a quick message to let us know that he is on his way. This is actually going to be his first Twitter space, so this will be fun, to, or X space, or SpaceX, or whatever we're calling them now. But uh, we'll get him up here as soon as he's here. And my uh, final co-host, JD, is currently connecting, so we'll get him up here as well. You know, one of the things that actually broke on The Athletic, Nicole Auerbach was one of the people that mentioned this, is the ACC is apparently having early discussions, and I, I mean, emphasis on early, on the potential addition of Cal and Stanford. So uh, that's one of those things. Oh, you know, I just see Stuart's here, so we're going to go ahead and let him up right now. Welcome again, for those of you listening. Um, we're here with Stuart Mandel, editor-in-chief of the Athletics College Football Coverage. He's been a national college football writer for decades. I know I've read him since I was in grad school and just kind of looking for any escape from the law <laughs> when he was at Sports Illustrated. And he's also been at Fox Sports, and he co-hosts the Audible podcast with Bruce Feldman. How are you today? I'm uh, busy. How are you guys? I can imagine. We're good. We're busy. You know, it's kind of a fun question. Prior to any of this, have you used Apple TV to watch anything? Oh, yeah, I have, actually, because it's the network of uh, Ted Lasso. Um, let's see. Um, the Morning Show. Um, oh, Severance. That was a great show. But the pack. Uh, deal being discussed it wouldn't have been as simple as just signing up for for apple tv plus it would have been a standalone uh will call it pac-12 league pass um and i have yet to find out what it would have cost i'm guessing a couple hundred dollars a year um that you know you could get whether you were a subscriber or not but it's not like you could just pay your 5.99 a month or whatever it is that you pay to watch ted lasso and you'd get you know, every Pac-12 uh, sporting event on top of that. Definitely, yeah. And uh, seriously, I know you wanted to ask something. Yeah, just the, uh, that is kind of a, that's the first time that I've heard an actual number attached to 
the cost for for a Pac-12 streaming well, option. Clear, and that's me. That's not. Wow. That's not a. I'm gonna back up here a second. That's not a very thing I have by any means. It's kind of more doing the math of what they, you know, what I do know. Reported over the weekend is uh, 1.7 million subscribers would have gotten them to that magic 31.7 million dollar uh, number um, that the Big 12 makes. So we're talking 25 million guaranteed per team plus the difference between 31.7, which I'm not smart enough. And so you start thinking like, well, how much would they have to charge to be able to give the schools that much? And, you know, I think I, I saw MLS uh, league passes a hundred dollars. So maybe it would have been that. Then I, then you're like, but wait a minute, if you do the X, Y, and Z, they would have taken a bath on that. So uh, maybe, maybe it would have been a hundred, maybe it would have been 200, maybe it would have been 250. Um, people have pointed NFL Sunday ticket costs. Remember this would have been, your only way to watch any Pac-12 sporting event. So if you're a Cal fan, Oregon fan, Washington fan, whoever, it's, it's kind of not optional. Uh, it's not like, well, I'll just watch the, you know, Pac-12 network was kind of optional because you could still get most of your games on regular, on traditional television. This would be the only way for you to watch your team. And so because of that, yeah, I think they probably would have charged a pretty hefty price. So even with a, even with a swag, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty hefty amount. And I know like with the SEC, there's essentially an extra school that basically that, you know, that share of revenue goes to the fund conference operations a lot of times. Um, so maybe even higher than that if the Pac-12 was taking a cut for funding the, the conference as well. Yeah, that gets kind of complicated because, you know, the Pac-12, one of the reasons the Pac-12 would always um, not pay as much tribute as high a percentage as the others was the expenses of operating the Pac-12 network. And I have not yet heard, and maybe somebody else will report it. If this Apple, who would have produced the content for Apple TVs? Uh, would it have been Apple or would it have been the Pac-12 or some combo of it? But that obviously would have factored into it as well. Stu, I'm also curious with the Apple deal that came in, we first saw at the very beginning, I mean, there were the rumors of ION might've been a linear TV partner. We saw rumors about the CW. We saw all these different uh, emerging platforms like Amazon. When it came down to the final brass tacks and George was uh, trying to pitch the Apple TV deal, did it end up being uh, the end deal that was still left on the table or did that ultimately just end up being the highest deal that was available at the table? Um, the way I understand it, it was the only deal. Uh, there was another... Um, there was another deal that would have involved multiple partners. No, I don't know which ones they, that would have been heavier uh, linear and only partially streaming that for whatever reason fell apart at the 11th hour. It was, if you go back, there was a board meeting on June 30th and, and it was in my story. They, um, at the June 30th board meeting, they told George, give the bidders a deadline of July 31st to get their final bid in. And I think between the time, uh, remember he was getting Pac-12 Network telling everybody how great this, I'm sorry, Pac-12 Media Day, telling everybody how great this deal was going to be. And you're kind of like, he couldn't, you know, was he delusional? Would he have really said that so emphatically knowing Apple was the only deal? And I think from the reporting I've done, he thought, and a lot of the schools thought 
this other um, deal option. And between the time Colorado left and July 31st, that deal fell apart. I guess that's one of the things that's also kind of been a little bit confusing to me, at least when it comes to these media deals, because one of the things that we've seen is, you know, this $20 million number that came from Apple TV. Uh, I'm really curious to know what the Big 12 or the Big 10 had to offer with these Pac-12 schools that they couldn't on their own, because it kind of seemed clear that the Pac-12 didn't have the financial pull to bring in the 30 plus million. But the second they started going, hey, we'll take Oregon to the Big 10, we'll do Colorado to the Big 12. Well, suddenly there was the uh, pro rata contracts where ESPN and these other uh, offers immediately came into the table. What was the difference uh, between the network packages that they had versus what the Pac-12 could offer? Well, it was always a great mystery to me over the last year why they were having such trouble getting a comparable deal because um, any viewership data you look at shows that the, the 10 remaining Pac-12 schools pretty significantly – higher TV ratings, what I was told by a a media consultant, 20% higher than the remaining Big 12. The Big 12 able to get 31.7 million and the Pac-12 couldn't get anything practically. And I don't know the answer to that other than um, the Big 12 jumping the line had a big effect. But you make a good point. If Pac-12 tried and tried and tried and couldn't get that number, but here we are, six of the schools ended up getting that number in other conferences doesn't it it does something doesn't quite add up there now the big 12 had gotten that guarantee from espn and fox of a pro rata deal for up to four power five schools and espn must have known which four they were gunning for when they when they committed to that and then this oregon washington thing came together in about 48 hours last week and it was fox kicking in the money for them to be able to get a half share of what the other schools do in this current contract so you know part of that i think is if you're Fox, well, maybe I'm not going to pay all that money for Oregon, Stanford, and Oregon, Oregon State. But, oh, now it's Oregon, Ohio State, Oregon, Michigan. Yeah, I'll pay for that. Um, I think there's definitely something to that. You know, looking at the, the two conferences and their commissioners, Britt Yormark and, and George Klyovkov were both outsiders from college sports. Why did you think Yormark succeeded at this point so well while Klyovkov has failed? I think a big difference was... Um, your mark when he got the job hired uh, Endeavor um, which is a really really big uh, media consulting firm they've done really big sports deals and you know has those relationships with the networks uh, George hired a smaller boutique uh, firm they have done sports deals but not you know huge ones and I didn't even know until uh, Friday I think that it's because the person who runs that is a college is a law school classmate of George's. So I just think that between your mark and that agency, they just ran circles around George and his uh, agency um, all the way through. Now you heard a lot of griping, a lot of, um, I mean, Pac-12 people are not happy with the way, you know, I think Arizona's president, uh, people called out Endeavor for like basically running a smear campaign against them, trying to, destabilize them, trying to, um, you know, make it seem like they were desperate so that those four corner schools would come. But at the end of the day, it ended up happening exactly the way they portrayed it to be. They couldn't get the deal. Those schools ended up going. So whether it was a self-fulfilling thing or not, I don't know. But, um, you know, you definitely saw a, uh, 
I, I think you saw a huge impact in terms of leadership, negotiating skills, um, strategy. Uh, I've said to people a lot over the last few days, you know, because because I, I again I mentioned that the TV numbers, but the spreadsheets don't negotiate the deal. People do, and I think the Big Twelve had the right people negotiating their TV deal, and the Pac twelve did not. Speaking of strategy, um, do you think that that kind of played into it with uh, the networks being more willing to work with the Big 12 and the Big 10 than the Pac-12 when you look at the fact that, you know, the Big 12 went out and they did find four replacements um, to bring in to bolster their numbers. Uh, The Big 10 added USC and UCLA to bolster their numbers versus the Pac-12, who's kind of been in this weird spot of, you know, we know that the LA schools are leaving big brands that are going out, but the reputation the Pac-12 has for who they could bring in that would fit in with the culture of the Pac-12, the kind of an, to be honest, a little bit of an elitist kind of mindset in terms of, well, you know, Boise State can't come because their academics aren't good enough. Um, San Diego State was making moves, but then that kind of fizzled out a little bit. Um, Do you think that that probably played a role in why the Big 12 and the Big Ten were able to get network backing because the future of the conferences looks stronger versus the Pac-12 just kind of is blundering along. I mean, one thing that puzzled me and it also puzzled people in the industry that I talked to is why they were so insistent that they had to get the TV deal done, TV deal done first and then do expansion. Um, you know, look at the Big Ten. They added USC and UCLA and then did their deal with Fox, NBC, and CBS. Like, it's not... You know, I, I heard the rationale. We have to be able to know what we're going to be able to offer the new schools. I've heard that. But I just think if they had added San Diego State and SMU, let's say, um, right after USC and UCLA left, the way that the Big 12 did uh, their four new schools right after um, OU and Texas left, I think that just changes the tenor of things. Um, and so instead, you had double uncertainty. You had a year of uncertainty over their TV deal and a year of uncertainty over who they're going to add if they add and you saw what happened with San Diego state, that obviously didn't help things. So yeah, I think that was very questionable strategy. Um, especially since from what I know now, like they were ready to go. If they had signed the, if the schools had agreed to sign the grant of rights Friday morning, um, San Diego state would have been in the conference by that afternoon. Like it was that, it was going to be that sequence of events. So why they couldn't have done that six months ago, you, you've got me. So, you know, kind of talking about the, the, the hands both of these commissioners were dealt, how much of the, the current predicament can we track back to the, the tenures of Larry Scott and, and Bob Bowlesby? But I mean, or how much of it is because the way you're talking about it now, it really seems to, to rely on, you know, especially with the Pac-12 and, and the way you've laid that out. It really just seems bad play on Klyovkov's side. You know, first of all, I think. Bob Bowlesby took a lot of heat, and understandably so, when OU and Texas left, because he himself had – I don't remember exactly the, the sequence now. I think at that year's Big 12 media day, he said something about, um, you know, realignment's not even a possibility. Yeah, I believe the exact Texas quote was, I don't lose sleep at night over my conference members. Yep. Kind of like George Klyovkov saying we've got bigger fish to fry uh, when somebody asked him about that at Pac-12. But to his credit, after that initial setback, um, he very quickly got them to rally around expansion, big expansion, I think brought in the right four schools. 
Um, so let's give a little credit to him for kind of, um, uh, the, the, you know, putting it in a good position for when your mark took over. I mean, the, the Larry Scott debacles have been well, well chronicled. Um, I think, I, I think the biggest reason why, uh, George couldn't sell them on that Apple deal is what they went through with Larry Scott in the Pac-12 network. Larry Scott sat in that room 12 years ago, showed them a bunch of uh, spreadsheets or slide decks saying, you know, once we get the Pac-12 network into this many homes, you guys are going to make this much money. Um, they were excited about it. And then, of course, it never it never came close to delivering. And it was almost a copy from what it's been described to me. They put up a, this, this past week, they put up a slide deck. You know, you're going to, you're not. You're only going to make twenty-three million guaranteed. But just look at this. This um, we get to one point seven subscribers, we make this much. And he was forget catching the Big Twelve. He was selling it as we are going to close the gap on the Big Ten SEC, and within three years, you guys are going to be making fifty million per school. Can you know? Look at us. Blah blah blah. And they just couldn't. Um, these these this particular room full of presidents needed certainty. It was not the right room to sell hope and optimism and projections. Um, I've seen people say on, um, like in my comment sections, Twitter, people say, um, actually, they should have taken that. Once I reported the details, people are like, that's not as bad as I thought it was. They should have taken that, you know? Streaming's the future. Apple's a great company. They should have gotten in on that. You know, they weren't thinking long-term enough. And I get that rationale. I do. But like I said, they've been burned before. And so... Um, Maybe that's that sales pitch would have worked in another conference, but these a, these presidents and ads were so burned by the performance of Larry Scott's network that you could understand why they would want certainty. It was just too much Star Trek futurism for them. Yeah, well, we know Michael Crow liked the deal. Uh, he explained it in great detail. His that twenty third century uh, Star Trek deal. Um, there were others. I'm told there are others that that actually you know once they had a chance to. Um, dig into it. We're really excited about it. Um, and then there were others that were just completely torn. And, you know, look at Oregon. You would think as soon as the Big Ten reached out, that would have been that. But they agonized late into the night on Thursday. Um, you know, it just wasn't an obvious, as obvious a decision as people might think. You've got the Big Ten offering you a, a life raft, but you're going to get half of what the schools you're playing against are getting. You're, you're going to play a lot of your games on Friday nights because that's what Fox is offering. Um, and you're going to destroy, not single-handedly, be part of the group that destroys a 100-something-year-old conference. And so they really wanted the math on that Apple deal to work, and they just didn't think it would. Stu, as these other conferences are starting to pick up the pieces that are still left in the pack, question mark, uh, are we at a point where we can mm -hmm. safely say the Big 12 and the Big 10 have taken their selections and they're done with this round of realignment? Or is there still an opportunity where, you know, the remaining four with the Stanford's cows, Oregon State's, Washington State's, uh, is there a lifeboat coming for them? I don't think you can ever rule anything out. I don't think you can ever say anything's done. Case in point, uh, we were told pretty definitively early last week that the Pac-12 was not going to add more. I'm sorry. The Big Ten was not going to add more West Coast schools. They're having enough trouble figuring out how to integrate USC and UCLA. And then circumstances changed, and suddenly they made that happen. So, you know, now we're hearing they have no interest in Cal and Stanford. Um, they don't move the needle TV-wise. And maybe that's what ends up happening. But I, the, 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 those two schools are not going to stop 
lobbying. You know, they're going to be uh, working the phones, trying to get into the Big Ten, trying to change some people's minds. You've seen the reporting by Pete Thamel, by Orbach, that the ACC is having discussions right now about the possibility of Stanford and Cal. I don't see that one happening because you're talking about two West school, Coast schools and 14 Eastern time zone schools. I just don't see how that works. But, um, you know, these things these things are, are being talked about at least. I don't think the SEC obviously comes into play with, with these four schools. So far with the, the pack four, um, it seems like most of the rumors that are going around are focusing on Stanford and Cal as potential options, you know, dance partners to go somewhere else. How dire is the situation right now for Wazoo and Oregon State? Yeah, unfortunately, I think that um, to me, those were always two programs that if something like this ever happened would be in real jeopardy because of smaller markets, smaller fan bases, smaller stadium. Um, they don't have all the bells and whistles that Oregon has. Um, I love going to games at Oregon State. I think it's a great place. Uh, you know, the coaches poll came out today. They're ranked, I want to say, 16th. And you're like, how can that be one of the schools being left, you know, put out to pasture? But I think that's a real risk. I think the first thing they need to have, have happen is for Stanford and Cal to stay with them. Um, obviously, they're better off if it's a four of them than two. Um, and then I think it's a matter of, are they, are they going to go to the Mountain West AC as they're presently constituted? And, and, you know, the money that those conferences make is maybe 25% of what they were getting in the Pac-12. So that's a difference. How do you fund your athletic department with that? Or can they be the, one, they be the ones that pull schools in to the Pac-12 because it's still got the prestige and the brand and all that? Um, you're not going to get the deal that Apple was offering for the full conference, but maybe you get something closer to that than to what the Mountain West and the AAC offer now. But whatever the, I don't see, there's not a great outcome. There's not a scenario where the Big Ten is going to come calling for Oregon State and Washington State. That's just not going to happen. Um, so right now they're just trying to make the best of the situation. Um, and it's it's rough. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. They're going to, um, they're going to be making a lot less money than they did before. And by the way, Washington State is already running a deficit. They had a um, weird accounting scandal recently. I don't know if you've read about that, where the somebody high up in the athletic department was just, just botched the books, and so they have missing money. Also, these Pac-12 schools are still on the hook for that Comcast overpayment. Um, it's just it's like the worst possible time to have the the um, your, your your bank account get get drained like this speaking of bank accounts and getting drained i mean you have to feel for oregon state with doing all their new capital improvements to their stadium washington state has put a bunch of money into their facilities on the projections of we're going to stay power five but man none of that still even compares to the money that cal has spent on quite literally a fault uh, with the amount of debt that their program currently has, uh, if they don't have another similar Power Five equivalent, we'll just call that as the big number. Uh, if they have to step down to you know this hybrid of a Mountain West role, if they don't get the money bailout, how do they even come close to staying current on a debt payment on that stadium? I have no idea. Uh, and by the way, you know that's been hanging over them for a decade. They've also, I mean, people have said this, and it's true. I don't. 
I don't think any two schools are more affected by 2020 than Cal and Stanford. The restrictions here were the most restrictive in the whole country. Um, I, I seem to remember, you remember um, Cal had to forfeit a game because one position room, one person in one position room had COVID. I mean, it really set them back. Cal was starting to have some momentum in football under Justin Wilcox and it just uh, kaput. So they got to the point where the university is is having to kick a lot of money over to the athletic department, which is never ideal when you're in a power five conference. Now you're going to be possibly in a group of five conference. That difference, that deficit to cover would be huge. And and the other thing I would say about Cal and Stanford is obviously, um, and, and Stanford in particular, but Cal too, they have such great Olympic sports. They produce Olympians like crazy. They win national championships other sports but they're expensive if cal ends up in the mountain west i mean how many of those teams are going to get cut or scholarships dropped or won't be able to afford good coaches anymore it's a now i've talked to people at stanford today it's they're it's full-on disaster they are trying to figure out they're scrambling um this just i just don't think they ever thought this could this day would come that it would come to this Stu, I know that I say this slightly jokingly, but also not. Uh, We know how COVID really affected these schools. But in 2021, Stanford's endowment made approximately about $12.1 billion with a B uh, in that year alone. Um, Is there any scenario where, you know, they could help out their friends at Cal by simply buying out the stadium and using it for their own research purposes? Stanford buying out Cal Stadium? (laughs) No, don't see that happening. Uh, I mean, but the more maybe pertinent one is, can Stanford just pay for their own athletic department regardless of what conference they're in? And the immediate answer is no, because even Stanford's athletic department has a huge endowment, separate from the one at the university. And it doesn't seem like they're able to tap into it because in COVID, they tried to cut 11 sports. The, The alumni freaked out. They rallied, they had fundraising of some sort, and they were able to save those sports. But their athletic, at the time, one of the reasons they said they had to do it, believe, whether you believe it or not, was that they were racking up a deficit in their athletic department with Pac-12 money. So my question for Stanford is, um, let's say you end up with a $20 million a year deficit because of all this. Don't you have some rich Silicon Valley uh, fans, donors, that could just write a check for that? Um, and, and then it wouldn't necessarily even matter what conference you're in, but... The idea of them bailing out Cal, no. But remember, UCLA was a tax. Um, that was the condition where the Board of Regents didn't uh, or didn't block them from going to the Big Ten is, is what we're now calling the Berkeley tax, where I think they're going to have to share as much as $10 million of their Big Ten money a year with Cal. Uh, yeah, we, the we calimony, like, I believe. Yeah, it's the calimony, called, right? That's what we, we believe like that a lot. Um, you know, Stu, another team that's kind of come up in all of this and been at the periphery of these conversations is UConn. What do you think is going to happen to them? Is is your mark being a, a hoops guy, obviously, uh, history with the Nets, is the Big 12 going to still be interested in them? Yeah, your mark, your mark is, is a hoops guy and a New York guy. And he, from everything we've been told really covets UConn. But that was always kind of the back, like that was talked about a lot when they didn't know, like for instance, let's say they got in Colorado and only Colorado and they needed a 14th school. I think UConn would have gotten that call. 
But now that you have 16 schools, you don't really need them. So could they do something where they're in basketball but not football? Could they pair them with Gonzaga as basketball ads? I think that's keep an eye on it. But, but even, um, uh, even throughout this, it's never been clear to me whether that's a conference thing or just a Brett Yormark thing. Like Brett Yormark might really be con. But will his presidents do? His presidents want them. Would his presidents approve it? Um, you know, that's a whole other story. And remember, they had uh, pro rata guarantees for the four Pac-12 schools they got. They do not have that for anyone else. They do not have that for UConn or Gonzaga. ESPN obviously has deep, deep ties to UConn, so they would probably help out on that front. Um, but if it's not. Why would UConn go, right, if it's not as an all-sports member? Their reason to go is if they can get their football team into that conference. If it's just basketball or just non-sports or non-revenue sports, then I think they're fine in the Big East. What about, for example, if, you know, you brought up Gonzaga as an example. Uh, Once upon a time, there was always rumors of Wichita State possibly joining a similar conference. Uh, Are we at a point that the Big 12 might even consider non-football schools in their future expansion? I think that depends on how, and look, Bray Ormark can walk on water there right now. They love him so much, so maybe whatever he sells them, they'll go for he has said many times he thinks basketball is undervalued and that when the next time their contracts come up, he would like to unbundle them and sell basketball on its own. Um, that runs contrary to conventional wisdom that basketball only is about, you know, it's about 80, 20 in terms of football to basketball value. That being said, basketball, the big 12 has a very strong basketball conference. It would get even stronger. Obviously if you could get Gonzaga and UConn, the national champs, um, yeah, maybe maybe they start talking about some sort of uh, basketball super conference. But to this point, we have not seen um, – the only realignment decision I've seen driven by basketball was when the Catholic 7 broke off from the, the rest of the Big East and, and, you know, formed what is now the new Big East. For the most part, it's always football-driven. Speaking of basketball, do you think that the math on that could change if the NBA eliminates the one-year gap rule um, or could actually help basketball where you have fewer one-and-dones and and, uh, teams start to be able to kind of develop players a little bit more and uh, create some excitement that way where Uh, the NBA prospects can go pro? Yeah, you got the wrong guy to ask that question to. My days of covering college basketball are probably – uh, five years, it died about five years ago at this point. So I don't have a really good sense of that. But um, I do think that the sport, you know, it was inter- interesting to me. It was interesting about college basketball, if I could just like pontificate for is how the NCAA tournament seems to be recession proof. It doesn't matter who's in it. It doesn't matter whether Zion Williamson is in it or there's no stars, you know, of that caliber at all. People love March Madness. And it just doesn't seem to help the regular season. You don't read a lot of great headlines about college basketball regular season TV ratings. And so when I see the NBA draft this year and all the top players are not even college basketball players, they're, they're you know, overtime elite or, of course, obviously number one picks from France. Like, is that going to harm basketball even more? Or is, is it just doesn't matter? They're almost like two different sports at this point, the NBA and college basketball. So um, I don't really have a place I'm going with this, but... That's what I find interesting about college basketball right now. 
Stu, as we continue to move into the era of the mega conference with 16 teams, 18 teams, and so on, what are we looking like right now in terms of structure? Uh, whether that's going to be divisions, pods, protected rivalries, what kind of seems to be the leader in the clubhouse of how they're going to divide up these teams? I thought it was interesting that I saw the Big 12 might go to go back to divisions because if they do, they would be doing it at a time when all the other conferences are getting rid of divisions. Um, but they might need to because there is such a stark geographic divide right now that they have all these um, West Coast schools joining that conference. Um, and, you know, I think it'll vary conference to conference. I'm interested to see how the Big Ten does their scheduling now. Um, will there be like a West Coast pod and they make sure that those schools play each other as often as possible and maybe play the East Coast schools as not often as possible um, or does it just kind of get integrated into the larger system? But, um, you know, the SEC, back got rid of divisions last year. The SEC is getting rid of divisions, which is actually to me surprising because they uh, feel like that's the conference where every who's in the SEC East and who's in the SEC West. And it really matters, you know, in terms of getting to uh, Atlanta, but you know, with the playoff and everybody's going to get their conference champs going to get in. Um, I totally understand why they're kind of maximizing for playoff spots, um, trying to get their best two teams to play at the end of the year. So, you know, one of them is going to go automatically. The other one gets a chance to um, add a quality win to their resume. I do think, you know, this this is all happening. All this realignment is happening at the exact same time. We're going to 12-team playoff and basically changing the sport. It's going to be an entirely different sport, right, with an NFL-style playoff at the end. And that's going to have a lot of influence on how these conferences structure their scheduling. You know, it was reported early on when uh, Tom Petiti took over at the Big Ten that he wasn't as bullish on expansion as Kevin Warren. But so what was what we saw with Oregon and Washington, a contingency plan, they just sort of took off the shelf given what was happening or or how do you think that that went down? They had definitely vetted them last fall when Kevin Warren was there. So it wasn't like a, a, um, whatever the presidents need to know to approve a school, like that that part of the work had been done. So it was really just whether they could get the money. And clearly that came together very quickly. Um, and it was it's driven by Fox. It's a, the one, I don't know that it's gotten enough attention, but the Big Ten TV arrangement is different than all the other conferences the conference doesn't own its TV rights. Big 10 network does. And they sold Kevin Warren sold a, a stake in the big 10 and another stake in the big 10 network to Fox during COVID. So Fox now majority owns the big 10 network. So basically Fox owns the conference TV rights. And when it came time last week to say, Ooh, we got an opportunity here in Oregon, Washington. Can we get the money? They just go to Fox. Fox decides that. And, you know, I think it's, um, uh, how do I put this? Not unfortunate, but like kind of bizarre, not ideal for college sports that I think we just killed the Pac-12 so that Fox could have better ratings on Friday nights. Honestly, like their, their play there is, oh, two more teams means we could, we could play some more games on Friday nights um, and get a 1.0 rating instead of a 0.5 rating. Uh, I think that was, you know, part of why they, or a big part of why they were willing to um, 
to, to give them another because that's a big that's a big amount of money thirty two point five million for two each a year over six years. Speaking of the numbers and how fast that deal came together, you kind of get the feeling that uh, the Big Ten and Fox basically just decided, well, let's float a lowball offer to them and uh, see if they say yes. Yeah, I think that's there's some truth to that. I think they probably figured Oregon, you know, doesn't need much convincing. Uh, we'll just offer them the bare minimum. I do. I did. Uh, I was told there was. Um, it was such a such a bad offer that they they needed at least some sort of assurance and and so um i don't know exactly what it was but there was some sort of uh i don't know maybe it was the assurance that they would become full members at the end of it i don't know if maybe that wasn't originally the plan or not but it's not like fox offered that money and they jumped at it as i said before they they really agonized over it it's not it's not an ideal deal you're going to paying about as much as you thought you were going to be making in the new pac12 deal but you're going to have to spend all this extra money on travel. Uh, UCLA has said it's going to cost them an extra ten million in travel to, to be in the be in the Big Ten. So uh, this could end up being, honestly, I could see Oregon and Washington having a real trouble balancing their budgets. Maybe I should separate that out. Phil Knight will will cover the difference for Oregon. <laughs> I could see Washington having trouble balancing its budget until they become full members. Um, and then also, like, it's not ideal competitively when you're making half as much as the teams you're playing every week. So yeah, this was really a bet on the long term of what said. This is the place to be six years from now when that deal comes up. When those next deals do come up, I think one thing that's been happening in realignment for at least, you know, at least the last 15 years has been every single conference has been looking for expansion. Uh, is there going to be eventually a point where we might see a conference, and I'm just going to throw one conference out here as an example, uh, if the SEC decides one day, hey, you know what, in this next round of realignment, uh, when we're doing the next contract, we're going to make way more money if we bring in Clemson and we kick out Missouri or Mississippi State. Is that something that we could see like in the future where a conference says, hey, you know what, we'd rather bring in another big fish uh, and kick out a smaller one? seems like the next it seems like it's heading that way at some point um we're seeing espn and fox basically program these conferences and so it would make sense that the net you know the first step was hey let's get as many big brands as possible under one roof so we get all of them yeah it would make sense that the next one would be hey we'll pay you x amount of money but you need to get rid of the bottom feeders because we don't we don't want to be paying all this money to show Ohio State against Rutgers and Ohio State against Indiana. We'd rather, you know, every year is just just nothing but blockbusters. So I don't know if that would happen in the cur- in the traditional conference model, or if, as many have speculated, and as I think will happen at some point, you know, it's its own separate entity from the conferences. You know, the college football playoff becomes a, the Premier League, right? It's not just the postseason event; it's the actual league onto its own that's where a lot of the oregon states and washington conferences would be in danger speaking of awkward discussions between uh new conference mates and and potentially relegating some long-term conference members what about the on-ramp to full revenue for these schools that are joining conferences obviously the big 10 kind of narrowly dodges that with uh you know, Nebraska, Maryland, and Rutgers 
I believe now for this upcoming season will be full revenue partners finally. Um, you, Oregon and Washington are going to be on a, on a slow pay scale. Uh, USC and UCLA, it looks like they're going to be faster. I think it's reported that Utah is actually going to be coming in pretty much almost immediately as a full member, uh, maybe 2025. But BYU is going to be on a slower process to get up to full revenue shares. Um, what kind of awkwardness is that going to make for, for schools that seemed like they were ahead in line and now they're getting jumped by more attractive uh, new ads? I'd have to look into that some more. It doesn't really um, make sense because the new, the new Big Twelve. Oh wait, I think I know what that's about. Um, the the new Big Twelve deal doesn't actually kick in until twenty twenty five, right? So that means uh, there's going to be there's going to be one year where these schools that are joining are joining on the old TV deal. So yes, it would make sense actually. Now that you mention it, that they would have to be phased in, but from everything I understand, once the new TV deal kicks in, there was a pro rata. So everybody will get what, you know, the 31.7 million. You know, obviously we know there's some disgruntled members of the ACC, Florida state. And it seems like indirectly we keep hearing about Clemson, but do we see, and do you see, I should say any near term instability for the conference? For the ACC? Correct. Well, it, it, yes, because it's not ideal for your conference harmony when one of the schools is holding a public board meeting and board members are openly saying, we got to get out of this conference. Um, it's not a matter of if, but when we get out of this conference. Uh, Florida State is making a lot of noise. And I know some people are like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Or, you know, to point out their football record over the last six or seven years. Um I, I think they're dead serious. I think that they, Florida State thinks of themselves the way Florida State football was in 1991, um, that they should be competing for national championships and that they should be making as much as the SEC schools do, or at the very least making a lot more than Wake Forest and, and you know, whoever else you want to, Georgia Tech, throw into the mix from the ACC. But it, it just doesn't behoove the ACC to just cave to that because then where does it stop? Clemson's going to say, well, we want more money too. And then, you know, it's going to get so on and so forth down the line. So, I mean, to me, the Pac-12 dying should be scary to the ACC because it shows you that that is possible. It is possible for a Power 5 conference to just disappear. The difference, obviously, between Pac-12 and the ACC is the Pac-12 was reaching an end point anyway where they had to get something done. The ACC has this grant of rights and that's supposed to be the most ironclad thing you can have. And so I guess lawyers are going to figure out really soon if it is or not, because I do think Florida State will try to break the grant of rights at some point. Um, I think they'll try to convince other schools to do it with them. And we'll find out just how ironclad that thing is. Nobody's ever challenged one before. It would be extremely expensive if it does turn out that it's ironclad to buy your rights back, because a grant of rights is literally the ACC owns Florida State's TV rights until 2036. They can go join the SEC tomorrow. Their TV rights would still belong to the ACC. It would be extremely expensive to buy that back. So um, if nothing else, there's going to be a lot of drama and a lot of disharmony in the ACC, I think, in the coming year, the coming couple years. And then we'll see if that ends up leading to um, 
full on disaster. It reminds me very much of the last 10 years in the Pac-12, right? It was a lot of, um, nobody was leaving, but a lot of discontent, all that angst toward Larry Scott. Uh, it just was not a, a fun time for the Pac-12. And I think that contributed to, uh, to where it ended up today. I know we touched on this really briefly early on, but obviously uh, the Athletic just talked about the ACC having early discussions on potential additions of Cal and Stanford. It would it would seem like such an idea would would have to to really heavily lean on the fact that it wouldn't disrupt the current grant of rights deal because that seems like you just have the horses immediately bolt from the barn yeah. if that door even opened a little bit. I mean, and obviously Florida State certainly has a horse that would be happy to leave, and they'll throw his flaming spear right back at the ACC. Well, one thing I know for sure about the ACC's deal is that they also have a pro rata, so they could take Cal and Stanford, and they would come in at exactly what the other schools are making. I believe that that pro rata is even um, – Remember the Big 12, it was like, okay, you can do that up to four. I don't know if the ACC has that limit. So they can take them. They can expand. Um, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is it's the exact opposite of what Florida State wants right now. They don't want to dilute it further. They want uh, to be paid more than the other schools. And the more schools you add, um, that's just going to get so messy. So I don't blame them for looking into it and uh, – and, and, you know, presidents, university presidents, they're all academic people. And I'm sure if you're the president of Duke, UNC, Virginia, any number of schools in that conference, we could be associated with Cal and Stanford. That would be amazing. But that's, you know, obviously not the, the final piece. I mean, I think ultimately ESPN would have a lot of say in that, whether they think that's a good idea or not. Stu, I know that. FSU obviously wants out of the ACC. The Big Ten might want to stand pat. Big 12, same thing. SEC, same thing. But it just kind of seems wild that in all of this, Notre Dame is still happy to stay independent. And I feel, and you can correct me if I don't have the right feeling on this, uh, if Notre Dame suddenly says, hey, you know what, we do want to join a conference, uh, it's an absolute bidding war to get in the door with them. What would be, uh, if anything were to happen in college football, what would make Notre Dame actually give up their independence? Where do they stand in all this? They absolutely want to stay independent. Um, and, and they'll find out whether they can here in the next couple of years, they'll, their TV deal with NBC will come up, you know, since they did this deal, obviously the SEC and the everybody's um, revenue has gone up and they want to they want to keep pace with it. Um they only make a fraction from the ACC. Uh so they're going to, you know, they're going to try to get a deal that pays them enough to stay independent. And I think they'll be successful for a couple reasons. Uh they've been in business with NBC since 1991. The new AD of Notre Dame is coming from NBC Sports. That's your first clue. And now the, I think NBC has more incentive than ever to keep them because now they have the Big Ten. You know, for so long, Notre Dame has been NBC's only college football. Um, now they're going to have a primetime Big Ten game every week, and it would behoove them to have a 3.30 Notre Dame game leading into it. Um, or the other way around, right? If they have the weeks where they might have a 3.30 uh, Big Ten game leading into a Notre Dame game. So they need they need the number to be 
you know, maybe not necessarily SEC or Big Ten, but but something high up there. Um, and because they're Notre Dame, I think they'll get it. I think in this media climate, we've seen networks are willing to pay for big brands like that. Turns out they weren't willing to pay for the Pac-12. That was seen as nice to have, not must have. Any network would consider Notre Dame must have. You mentioned NBC's relationship now with the Big Ten. Um, what impact do you think that that has now that we've seen networks really playing kingmaker when it comes to these contracts and um, conference affiliations? Are they totally happy with keeping Notre Dame as their own little playground and uh, supplementing it with the Big Ten as a partial contract there? Or do you think that there might be interest in, well, you know, we've already got – um, this contract now with the Big Ten, maybe we should try to get Notre Dame in there as well or just kind of stay pat. It would be interesting to see, um, you know, Fox has become so, such a heavy hitter now and they're throwing money around. Not coincidentally, they're the only ones that don't have a streaming network that's gobbling up hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, what what attempt will they make to get Notre Dame when that deal is up? Like we all kind of assume it'll be NBC again, but you know Notre Dame will take it to take it to bid with everybody. And could Fox say, um, you know, even if we can't get them to join the Big Ten, we want to have Notre Dame football on our network and and integrate it and, and have them play alongside the Big Ten, have them play a lot of games against the Big Ten. But the independence that's really a Notre Dame. Um, and Pete Sampson, our Notre Dame writer, great Notre Dame writer, has written so many stories over the years about why independence is so important to them. And they're not they're not looking to give it up. I, I think the only way they would ever give it up is if it just what absolutely was not financially feasible to stay independent. I'm sure there are a lot of Notre Dame fans who would be ecstatic if they didn't have to worry about any of their games being on Peacock. <laughs> well, you know, NBC... <laughs> Big Ten has uh, some games on Peacock. That's the thing. It's all going in that direction. The idea that you're never going to have your games on a streaming service. There's an NFL playoff game on. I don't know if most people realize that. The Peacock has an NFL playoff game this coming year. Um, it's all heading in that direction. And now I don't know if they'll all survive, if there'll be some sort of survival of the fittest and one or two of them will survive and the others won't, but... Oh, I mean, I would be curious of the people listening right now, um, what percentage of them have cable and what percentage don't, um, and what percentage have um, Apple TV or Amazon and don't have like ESPN. I mean, it's just, it's changing so quickly. And, and I don't think, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what the future is going to look like when the big 10, um, they're going to go through this deal, this billion-dollar-year deal. When it comes time in six, seven years to do the next one, who will the players be? You know, ESPN is going through a bit of an existential crisis right now. Um, they know be in streaming, but they're losing a lot of money on streaming. Disney might sell a stake in them. Um, you know, the, the the pitch that I'm sure George Klyovkov was making on Apple is that this is the company of the future. It's Apple. They dominate. Why would you not want to be in business with Apple? Um so it's going to be really interesting to watch how that plays separate or not separate. Like, um, what am I trying to say? The impact on college football will be important to us. Just as a sports fan and as a consumer of TV, I'm really fascinated to see 
what this looks like six, seven years from now in terms of streaming versus traditional. As we try to figure out what's going to happen six to seven years from now, as streaming continues to grow up, uh, would you think that there is any merit for ESPN and Fox Sports wanting to see smaller uh, numbers of conferences where they, they can go, hey, we can just do one media deal and we get all 20 of these teams or all 24 of these teams in the future? Uh, is that a type of model that we might uh, be able to say like, hey, as they're trying to consolidate towards streaming, this might end up being the path they take? You know, theoretically, it's it's not in the best interest, right? Because them there are the more leverage they have you know if it if you uh you now wipe the pac-12 off the map so um the next time well i mean the big 10 sec have already consolidated so many of the big brands that the next time their tv deals come up and granted the secs is not for a long long time you know you're gonna get one shot so i think you know many years ago you know, when the, when the big 12, I can't even keep track of all the times so the big, the people thought the big 12 was going to die. Okay. I know what I'm thinking of the original 2010 Larry Scott tries to raid the big 12. You know, one of the reasons the big 12 was able to keep it together was that ESPN and Fox offered them a big raise, the big 12, a big raise. And people are like, why are they doing that? Like, why are the goodness of their heart? Why are they just offering them more money? And the thinking at the time was if, if, that happened if the pac 12 pac 10 became the pac 16 and the big 12 disappeared then they would have more leverage and they it was in their best interest to keep as many different conferences as possible but clearly that ship has sailed um everything's consolidating uh fox and espn are not the same company they have different strategies fox i think has been extremely aggressive in terms of the role they played in, in where the big 10 is now where the pac 12 is now um, as much as people think ESPN is like that, I don't think they're quite that predatory, but they certainly, I mean, they're the, they're the reason why the big 12 was able to go get four of those Pac 12 schools, right? They, they guaranteed them that money. So, uh, that's the path we're on. Like those two networks in particular, but obviously, I mean, all the networks that are now involved, um, I think the conferences in some ways take their orders from them rather than vice versa. You know, kind of going to where we're headed with these conferences and sort of one of the, the larger issues that has uh, kept me up in terms of worrying about what it could do to college athletics across the board, across all divisions. You know, what, are we in a situation where, you know, because there's over half a million NCAA athletes, but really only maybe 10,000 of them play what we, we would consider big time college sports. Are we going to see an opportunity for these two giant conferences, if it ends up being two giant conferences to break away and allow sort of a development as players, as employees. Because I think the thing that, that makes me concerned is if without that kind of a voluntary separation of the top programs, there's always going to be a chance that we're going to see a court ruling that all half a million students are employees. And that'll be devastating to a lot of schools that have nothing to do with the conversation we're having now. But is this an opportunity? Should these these conferences use this as an opportunity to go ahead and break and, and kind of make that cross that Rubicon to the players as employees question? Yeah, I mean, first of all, that day is coming. I don't know if it'll be in two years, three years, five years, 10 years, but that day is coming. And it'll, and I think across the country, schools are having to figure out, are we good with that? Can we make that work? Or are we against that? And so I don't know if it's conference by conference. I think it's school by school. If that day comes, you will see, 
like Stanford is a school I think that would say, no, no thanks. Um, and then, you know, the SEC schools would just keep pouring money in whatever they have to do. Florida State, if you, there was a story um, uh, in Sportico late last week that Florida State is actually about uh, negotiating a, a private equity deal. Yeah, with J.P. Morgan, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, clearly that's that's driven toward, oh, there might be a day soon when these players are 1099 employees. And instead of having them be employees of the university, we'll just have them be employees of this fund that we're starting. Um, yeah, I, that's too complicated for me to even speculate on. But once that, if and when that day comes, it might totally change this this conversation on conference realignment because it might just be that the sport gets um, kind of redistricted, if you will, around the schools that are willing to um, treat their athletes as employees and the schools that are not. As we uh, finish up with time here, obviously realignment's dominated this discussion. It's dominated the news cycle the past few weeks. What do you think, as we get closer and closer to kickoff for this 2023 season, what's the biggest topic right now that is just flying way under the radar that's been kind of pushed out of the news cycle um, by realignment? And, you know, has it gotten the attention that you thought it would? Gosh, all of it, all of, all of college football season itself. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that the thing I'm most interested in. So yeah, the thing I'm most interested in the 2023 season is Alabama. And in the past that would have been, cause I think they're going to have like the greatest team of all time. It's the exact opposite. We've never, we have not gone into a season since 29, 20, 2008. I don't know. Early Nick Saban where Alabama has so many question marks. And I saw their number three in the preseason coaches poll. Um, you know, 15 years of track record gets them that. But if you took their name off it and you were just looking at who they have coming back, you'd say, huh, huge question at quarterback. They've tailed off at receiver recently. Jameer Gibbs was kind of their only running back last year. He's gone. Um, their defense was good. It wasn't dominant. I don't think you would be ranking them number three. So we're going to go oh, and, and pretty puzzling offensive coordinator hire for many people in Tommy Reese. So I'm fascinated to see if this is you know, Nick Saban's going to outsmart us all yet again, or they actually have as many flaws as I kind of think they do. Um, and God forbid lose more than two games in a season. Yeah. I think that um, this could be like the first class if they stayed on four years that they, you know, that are coming up. We're getting to the point where if you stay at least three years, then you win the national championship at Alabama. Um, this could be the first time we, we don't see that streak broken. And then for me, this, it seems like between Alabama and Clemson, two stalwarts of the national championship game, they've been, both been on a little bit of a drought the past few years and a lot of questions, a lot of turnover at both schools. Can Dabo, can Saban, can they get it back together and make a return? Or is there a space for some of these um, kind of rising teams to take their spot and uh, start a new era? Clemson's a fascinating one too. Um, I mean, they've they've tailed off more so than Alabama the last couple of years, and I just uh, you know, people Chad uh, Chad Morris, uh, Garrett Riley um, definitely. And there's a lot of reason for intrigue there, coming as the you know somebody from outside the family as their OC. Um, I think they have a really good quarterback, but they don't like those those 
teams that won the national title were just swimming in NFL receivers. And you haven't seen that the last couple of years. Um, their offensive line, I think, was never that great, but but they were able to mask it when they had these amazing – when they had Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. So, you know, I think a lot of people feel like this is a great opportunity for Florida State to pass them this year. Um, they have a very talented team coming back. But just like I said earlier about is, is saving outsmarting us, is, is Dabo going to run circles around us? And, and you know, just, nobody will be – Nobody will pull, pull if they let's say they go to the playoff. There, nobody will pull the everybody doubted us card uh, quicker than Dabo would. One, one final, final question. I've just been meaning to ask this because I've seen some fans from Rutgers in the audience. What, what is the hopeful takeaway Rutgers fans have heading into this season? I mean, I think it's all based around faith in Greg Schiano. He did this before. He took Rutgers to unprecedented heights the first time he was there. It hasn't looked that way the first three years. They went one and eight in the Big Ten last year and got blown out a lot. Um, but I also feel like he, I mean, it took him years to build Rutgers up the first time in the Big East. It wasn't like they immediately started winning games. So if you think he's still a great recruiter and a great developer, you know, maybe they have a big improvement this year. This is his fourth season coming up, believe it or not. Uh, that they could have a big improvement this year. I don't think that Rutgers or any program is, you know, destined to be terrible forever by any means. In fact, I was impressed his first season that they immediately became more competitive. Um, but I'll tell you what, out of those two that we always get linked together, Rutgers and Maryland, Maryland's the one I'm more looking at is like, could they have a big breakout season this year? They've been quietly getting better uh, under Mike Loxley. They have a great quarterback coming back. Um, I think people feel like there's a ceiling because you're in a division with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. But, you know, could they um, not say not contend for the East title necessarily, but have a much better season than they've been having? They're further along, obviously, as a program than Rutgers is. Well, we really appreciate the time you've taken to, to sit with us this afternoon, this evening, I should say, Stuart. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I, I hope I didn't bore people. Um, I'm going to drink a lot of water now because I feel like I've been talking for an hour straight. But, uh, but you know, I, I can't get enough of realignment, and I, I'm guessing most people on here are the same way. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Keeps it interesting, but that's for sure. Well, just want to thank all of you for tuning in. This was our CFB Talk 151. Our guest was Stuart Mandel, editor of College Football over at The Athletic and co-host of the Audible podcast with Bruce Feltman. My name is Bob Akai I was joined by my regular co-host, J.D. Moore and Sirius we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. So I just want to thank you all again. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.